I've got to do a little introduction to this. I had a completely different song picked out. I went on the I went on Facebook this morning. My wife is gonna chastise me when we get home for this. But uh, I looked on Facebook this morning and there was Randy with little Eddie. And she was looking up for Eddie. And uh, don't, don't don't do that, Randy. <laughs> If it weren't for kids, have you ever thought there wouldn't be no Santa Look what God just dropped. Thank God for kids. We'd all live in a quiet house without big birds or big nights or who laid on the couch. Thank God for kids. Thank God for kids, there's magic for a while. Special kinds of sunshine, get a smile. Did you ever stop to think or wonder why? The dearest thing to have is a child. Daddy, how does this thing fly? A hundred other thousand miles. Don't know, but they try. Thank God for kids. Get down on your knees tonight. Thank the Lord for His guidance. Pray they'll turn out right. Thank God for kids. Thank God for kids that magic for the fun. Special kind of sunshine and a smile. Did you ever stop to think or wonder why? The dearest thing to heaven is a child. So when you get down on your knees tonight, I thank the Lord for His guiding light. Pray they'll turn out right. Thank God for kids. Cause Jesus loves me this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him we they are weak, perfect song for today. Let me ask you something, folks. Have you ever faced a time in your life where you could do nothing else but pray? I mean, a time where you knew there was nothing physical you could do. You wanted to. You wanted to do more. 
and you felt completely helpless. And I know all of you have felt that way in this room. And you realize, though, what you had was the power of prayer at your fingertips. For me, there have been those times for Connie and I, a near-fatal automobile accident in seminary in Louisville in the 70s. Connie's paralysis as a result of that accident for almost two years. Connie's, Connie's got nine lives. You know, I, I just, I mean, how many we used here yet, you know? Uh, Connie's ectopic pregnancy when we lost our twins between Michael and Bethany. Connie almost bled to death on that one on me. And then the most recent, folks, is Ellie's open heart surgery. Let me tell you something. Holding that fragile little life before surgery, Connie and I felt and were helpless. When her little oxygen levels would drop down to 50 and 40 and 60 and 40 and whatever, not a thing we could do physically at all. And we felt so helpless. And not to minimize in any way, but all we could do was pray. You know, God brought Connie and I to that point. God has brought you to that point so many times when you can't do anything else. There's nothing else left to do, and you just pray. Rod couldn't be there with Jason. Faye couldn't be in the OR with her brother-in-law. And I know, Lou and Jerry, you had to feel just beyond helpless with Jeff. And so what do we do, folks? We pray. You know, as a result of these last few weeks, and really since Ellie has been born, we knew about this the day after her surgery. What's amazed me, though, is through all the medium of social media, What Connie and I have discovered is that people have been praying for Ellie literally all over the world. To me, that that is mind-blowing. I mean, I've heard from people in, in other countries. One lady said she was part of an international Bible study online, and there were about 40 of them that meet online, and they literally, around the world, she, she sent me a note that says, May I share about Ellie with my folks in the Bible study? I said, By all means. And then I thought, there is no telling where that email went after it went to her 40 people. Literally all over the world. You and I both have seen the power of prayer. Y'all, we are product in many respects in this room of the power of prayer. And in every time, though we may not understand it and we can't figure it out, God does prove, as Ephesians 3.20 says, exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ever hope for or think. Amen. Now, Jesus had to reach that point. Before his imminent death on the cross, all he could do in that garden of Gethsemane was pray. And he knew it. The difference is we're talking about God incarnate over there praying with his disciples with a stone's throw away. But he got alone, he, as he always did. He went to pray. When prayer is all you can do, let's put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus as he knelt the night before, literally hours before he went to the cross. I'm in Luke chapter 29. 
Luke chapter 29. It's the story and it's the account of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want to read and share with you these verses 39 through 46. And then I want to show you some things this morning about that prayer as even through that prayer, God teaches us what we to do and how he, even in that, can encourage us. And maybe some things we've, we've not realized before. Luke 22, verses 39 through 46 from the New King James translation. Here he is, coming out. The, the, the Passover meal had just finished. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as was accustomed, and he, his disciples also followed him. Then he came to the place and he said to them, pray that you do not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed. Now, verse 42, saying, Father, if this is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And look at this. Then an angel, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And then when he got up, he rose up from the prayer and he had come back to his disciples. He found them sleeping from sorrow. Interesting. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise, pray, lest you enter into temptation. So what we can, what can we learn? Jesus has come to the point, Jesus is God, and yet what he knows in that prayer, different from me and you, when we pray, he knew what was fact, what was about to happen. He knew the passion he was going to face. He knew the cross he was going to bear. And yet he prayed these words that we have in Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. There's seven things I want to show you. Very brief, but listen. The first thing Jesus did, the first thing you and I do, is he prayed intentionally. He prayed intentionally. The Bible says that Jesus entered. When he, coming out, he went, he entered. That word in the Greek language means that he came out, he went there with a purpose. He didn't just get up to go walking somewhere. He went straight to be with those men. But in particular, he went to do what he had always done before, and that is pray. Why? Because it was his custom to seek time alone with God right there around the Garden of Gethsemane. And the interesting thing about Jesus' prayer is that in Scripture you will see him always praying alone. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus praying alone. Jesus got alone with God, and it touches our heart. At night, he went out to the Mount of Olives. He was facing so much in the final preparation of his disciples and his own final hours on this earth. And he was facing it all in just one week's time. Jesus needed to spend time. And he used that word in this prayer, Abba Pater, old daddy, father in the Greek. Every muscle of his body needed the strength that only God could give him. I think of the Mount of Olives. One of our guys at Eastside, I was just talking to him a few minutes ago, Larry Tate. And he was showing me some pictures that he had taken in the Holy Land of the Mount of Olives, 
ball in that area and right where it is believed that maybe would have been the place Jesus prayed. And even in one of the buildings, the rock, they believe that that is the place where Jesus knelt at that moment. He loved the mountain range of the Mount of Olives. That's where he went to pray. Luke chapter 22, where we are. He spent there, he really, in Jerusalem, every night there, he spent the night in that area. He wanted to pray. He, when Jesus first went to Jerusalem, before he ever got there, he prayed with the Sermon on the Mount. In the end time, and all that was preached, the triumphal entry began. Jesus in terrible agony. What did he do? He always got alone with his Father. Let me tell you something, folks. There are these type prayers, sometimes you just simply have to get alone with God. And you may be in a crowd. You may be in a waiting room of a cardiac unit of a hospital. You may be in your living room. You may be at the grocery store. And whatever, and so much going on around you, but then you come and you just get alone with God. He told those men, pray that you don't follow and fall into temptation. You see, the disciples thought that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom. James and John were going to sit on the right and left, the places of power. All this, this is what was going to happen. And now Jesus had just told them, he had just transformed the Lord, or the, 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 the Seder meal into the Lord's Supper when he told him that it was going to be his blood and his body. And now these men are just blown away thinking, wait a minute, I thought you told us you were going to set up your kingdom on this earth. And now you're telling us you're going to die? John said it right in the 23rd. I mean, John 14. There was a troubled heart. But then something Jesus did in that prayer. I don't know if you realize this. Jews stood to pray in the first century. You look at Josephus and you look at the history of the Jews and you will see them in their prayer standing. What did Jesus do? The Bible says that he fell on his face. He got on his face before the Father. You see, the Jews expected anybody praying like that would be on their feet. But Jesus knelt. People say, but Randy, I can't kneel like I used to. I can't do that. No, not perhaps physically, but you can in your heart. You can get along with God and, and, and let that heart prayer become your long time with God. And I remember sitting in that waiting room after Ellie had gone to surgery. Now, we were not with Bethany and Ryan when they took Ellie back to surgery. We saw her, however, just a few minutes before they took her back to this incredible surgery. And I remember Connie and I and, and, and Ryan's family and us and Michael and Jennifer, we're all sitting there together. And I can tell you, there were alone prayers to God made sitting right there in that waiting room. And our minds and our hearts never focused off of what was happening. Many of you have been with me before I've been with you before surgery. And we don't take lightly, and I don't either, when we pray God you take the hands of the doctor and all who attend to them and literally may something supernaturally happen in that OR to the point whereby your hands, the doctor's hands, become your hands. And folks, the testimony of God 
when all you can do is pray, pray intentionally. Don't stop. You know, I often think, if you're, and I think like this too, what, 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 what would have happened had Jesus not prayed like that? Well, he would have died, yes. But what about for me and you? He knew what was about to happen. There was no question there. You and I are not privileged to that. We think between birth and death. Jesus thinks before birth, after death. His ways, as Isaiah says, are much higher than ours. Can you imagine praying? And then when he prayed that word, cup. That which is what you were to do, the cup. If this that I am supposed to do, I came here to die for the sins of the people. If this cup can pass from me. You saw the humanity of Jesus at its height right there. He's human. And he was God. Nevertheless, the God part of Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. What a prayer. What a prayer. And he did that in tension. The second thing is found in verse 40 and 45 and 46 is that even in the midst of his prayer, he encouraged others. Look at verse 40. When he came to this place, he said to his disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, look what Jesus was about to face. We know that. We would think our minds would be on what we were about to go through here. They were going to kill me in a little while. But his heart, his mind, and his very being was on those 12 men that were going over there praying, or now 11 men, excuse me, going over there praying, and they were going to sit there and relax and pray. And he said, men, don't go to sleep. Don't fall into temptation. And he knew this. You're about to fall. You're about to run away. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Don't lose that focus. You know, sometimes the hardest time to focus on Jesus is when it's a situation like that and maybe you're 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 in the situation and you're worn out physically, you're worn out mentally, you're worn out emotionally. But what did Jesus do? He encouraged others. The other night I I, I never forget I walked in the room and was it Miss Pam? That was the nurse, I think. I walked in, I had been down, sorry, no, I was getting back to the hospital at Eggleston. And when I walked in, one of the nurses, we affectionately called her Miss Pam, was Ellie's nurse that particular day. And I walk in the room, and the first thing that happens to me as soon as I walk in the room, not hello, Connie, Bethany, or how's Ellie, it's the nurse. Pam comes over and hugs me. I thought, that's a new one, you know, I'm not the patient. She hugs me. And she says, you're a pastor, you're the pastor, you're, you're, you're Bethany's dad. And whatever. And she went on to talking, and basically what she said is that this little girl is such an inspiration. We love Ellie. There is incredible things that are taking place because of this little girl. And immediately, folks, I went back to praying, Lord, would you allow something supernatural to take place in the OR? Would you allow something supernatural to take place in the hospital room and in the hallway? That those who even attend to Ellie, life will be changed. And I walk in the door and I'm hugged by the nurse who had no clue who I was. 
Talk about a God thing, folks. I was encouraged by the effect and the changing of God's prayer in the midst of all that. When you get to that point when all you can do is pray, trust me, God is going to encourage you some way. Maybe it's a bit of good news. Maybe it's a friend coming in. Maybe it's a hug. Maybe it's just, I don't know, but God will encourage you. You've got your own stories. You could tell the same story. God will encourage you when all you seem to feel like that we can do is pray. And I encourage you to encourage others. You know, on this side of heaven, Connie and I, nor Bethany or Ryan, will ever know the amount of people praying over the last few weeks. God will encourage you. Here's the third thing. I've already said it once, but Jesus prayed alone. He prayed alone. And when you get to that point in your life, you know you just got to pray alone. You just got to get alone with God. You and Him got to have a heart-to-heart talk. And you pour your heart Verse, 20, verse 41, and it says, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. Jesus prayed alone. Why did the Scripture put in there, he knelt down and prayed? You and I think that all goes together. And it's simply what I shared a few minutes ago. The Jews stood in their prayer to kneel was an incredible sign of, of, of extreme humility and almost defeat in some respects. Could be. Jesus and you and I know different in that respect. Jesus prayed like that. He got along with God. He, God will bring you and me to our knees. And then what happens? We begin to cry out in our very being. And then what happens? And then we, we tend to move to more of not that the prayer in the beginning was not earnest. You become to it really hit you what's going on. I remember sitting there in the waiting room. Dr. McKenzie told us, who was the head thoracic cardiologist or heart surgeon at Eggleston, who teaches how to do this particular surgery to everybody else, he had told Michael, I mean, Bethany and Ryan, that the little heart that he was about to operate on is about the size of a strawberry. And then uh, two friends, Walter McBride at Eastside, and then Dr. Alan Purdy, used to be the medical director down here at Good Sam been great friends with him. I talked to Alan the other day, and he said, Alan, Alan said, Randy, that surgery is done microscopically from the standpoint of the surgeon looking through, um, I, not a micro, but a, I don't know, I guess a microscope, however you say it. And I'm thinking not only pray for the doctor's eyes, pray for his hands as he does all this. And he says, so we are going in and we're going to repair the aorta. The one of the ventricle or whatever going or veins coming into the heart should be like this. One is wrapped completely around the heart. We're going to repair the hole in the heart. And then we're going to take muscle out of her heart so that we can repair this hole and repair part of the aorta all in about six, five and a half hours. And as the in-laws and their families and we all said, Ellie's getting the new rebuilt heart. And he had. And she had. You know, the very fact of God praying 
My prayer and our prayer was, yes, something supernatural takes place in that OR. And from all indications through Miss Pam and others, that prayer was answered, especially why. And then yet, when I show you all a picture of Ellie, or when people see that, and obviously Jim with the music, you can't help but be affected in your life. You see how God is providing a little baby to affect change in people's life. So much, Ellie had no clue, but she changed Jim's song without him, you know, without her ever knowing. I'll tell her about that one of these days when she gets older, you know. The fourth thing let me tell you about this morning is that he sought God's will above all. Now, he's man. We got that. He's God. He knew it. But he sought God's will. Was Jesus, in fact, praying as a human, take this from me? If there's another way, let's go do it that way, Lord. That's the human side. That's humanity of God. And then the divine side, the God of him. The incarnate God who's there praying simply reached out and says, Nevertheless, that word is such an important word in the Greek language. The connotation is not when all else fails, when everything else has been done. In other words, first and foremost, highest priority in my life, no matter what it takes, your will be done. Holy smokes. Can you imagine such a prayer? And Jesus was, when he prayed that, he was praying, I want to seek the will of God above all things. Sure, we wanted Ellie healed. Sure, we wanted everything to go wonderful. And we ask God for that boldly. There is nothing wrong with that. But it all must come under the umbrella of the will of God. God's desire must win out in every way. Period. Because that's what God taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. And folks, sometimes that, that's the hardest prayer to pray. Can you imagine Jesus? He knew that had to be the hardest prayer for a human to pray. And oftentimes God will bring us to our knees in prayer. Because it's at that point exactly what happens. You begin to pray more earnestly. And that's what it takes. The Bible said it was incredible. In verse 42, Father, if this is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then the fifth thing, verse 43, Jesus found strength. Oh, I love this one. I love this one. Then an angel, verse 43, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. An angel, angelos in the Greek, literally the messenger of God, showed up. How many angels come around us, y'all, and encourage us every day that maybe we have no clue? Maybe those angels have encouraged you this morning by what we've heard from your prayer and what's taking place. But he found strength. That word strength in the Greek language is a word that, yes, means spiritual strength. But it means power. It means transform. It means to enhance. It's in the Greek language. It's in the aorist 
tense, A-O-R-I-S-T. In this case, it's in the first aorist tense, and it means to strengthen yesterday, to strengthen today, and to strengthen in the future. So when the Bible says, and the angel strengthened him, it's put in the past tense. Most of the time, that's the way aorist is translated. But in particular, this word, like it's done in the first aorist, means that he will not only strengthen him back then, right now, but even in the future. And God knew what was about to take place. God knows what's about to take place in your life. God knew what was about to take place in mine and Connie's life with respect to Ellie. I don't know what's in the future. She's healthy. Well, she's recuperating. There were some problems thinking that she was aspirating food into her lung, formula into her lung. That was proven it was not happening, and they put rice in the formula, and she's doing well. But, folks, we don't know what's in the future. The doctor tells us that it could be 10 years from now or maybe as much as 15. They have to go back in and repair the aorta. But as he said, we've seen it where there is none, no restrictions and whatever. We don't know what's ahead of us, but God does. And God is the one that's going to give us encouragement and strength. Because he sends his messengers to do that. You know, you can attest to that. We can attest to that. Lou and Jerry can attest to that. In recent days with their son, they will find strength. You know, I think of, every time I think when I was writing this, I thought of John Newton, you know, with Amazing Grace. And the story of John Newton. The Greyhound was the ship that he was on. Slave trading ship, there's no doubt. And, of course, the whole story is this incredible, incredible storm was going on. And John Newton was a wreck. He was a wreck. And he, he, he thought he seemed as ruined as what he thought was about to happen to his ship. Since the age of 11, John Newton had been at sea. Sailors were not noted for the refinement of their manners to save the loose. But Newton had a high reputation for profanity, coarseness, debauchery, which even shocked the sailors that he's with. John Newton had even rejected his mother's teaching. He had led other sailors into unbelief. Certainly he was beyond hope and beyond saving, even if the scriptures was true. Yet in that storm, Newton's thoughts began to turn to Christ. The Bible says he found the New Testament and he began to read. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. It says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? On March the 21st, 1748, was the day that John Newton said, Amazing grace took place in his life. He found strength. Y'all, God's going to give you strength. God's going to give me strength. As we do what the Bible says, pray according to God's will. I am convinced God sent his angel, Dole John Newton. And I can tell you. God sent his angel to a waiting room at Eggleston Hospital Wednesday a week ago as we prayed and prayed for Ellie. Two more. Number six.
He prayed in agony. This goes, I think, without saying of everything we've already said about Jesus. You know the story. He prayed in agony. Look at verse 44 of chapter 22. And being in agony, agonia, literally in the Greek, he prayed more earnestly. There it is. Sometimes when we get to that point, we learn to pray earnest real quick. But what happened to him? Sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I won't go into the whole medical end of this deal, but hematidrosis is when the veins of the body become so enlarged and filled with fluid to the point that drops of blood or a little blood gets into that and you can get under so much stress that in fact great drops, thubas literally, of blood, Thick clots of blood can actually show up and look like little drops of blood. People always said, do you think Jesus did that? Yeah, I sure do. No doubt in my mind. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? But he prayed in agony. The Bible said when he prayed in agony, he began to pray more earnestly. I remember few years ago, I left here and went to Cobb Hospital or wherever you all took me with kidney stone pain. And was hurting badly. I just want you to know that in the car ride from the parking lot of Ollie Springs to the ER, I think it was a cob, before they gave me pain medicine to stop the pain, I can assure you I prayed earnestly because I was hurting bad. But that sometimes brings us to that point. He prayed in agony. When you reach that point in your prayer life, And all you can do is pray. Your agony, perhaps, that's agony, trust me. Then God's going to strengthen and give you the power that you need at that moment. The final thing I want to say this moment is this, and this is important. That's all important. Verse 45, when he, Jesus, rose up from prayer, what's that? And had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. The Greek word for rose up. It means to get up and accomplish the task at hand. It means to get up with a purpose. And it's very intentional here. It was time. The betrayer was at hand. It was time the suffering of God was about to take place. It was the cup that Jesus had just prayed about. For man's sin to be cleansed would require the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This morning I did the welcome over at Eastside and we did... You know, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And I walked, right before I walked out to do that welcome, Denise Wright looked to me and we were all talking. And she says, are, are you talking to me and others washed in the blood of the Lamb? And, and I gave Denise, you know, my favorite statement you've heard me say so many times, that we're covered in the blood of Jesus from what? The top of our head to the bottom of the soles of our feet. She says, yes. I said, run over to Olive Springs. They've heard that a whole lot over the years. But I believe that. And that's exactly what it is. Jesus rose up to do something. He went to those men. He knew they were going to fall away. He knew they would run and hide in that respect completely. And he rose up to act. He says he had already told them, I pray that you don't fall into temptation. He's not talking about falling into sin there. He's talking about falling into the very fact that they would run away from what was about to happen. Because they didn't understand. And it probably wasn't until back in the upper room when Thomas looked at Jesus and got on his knees before God and says, My Lord and my God, when he saw the nail-scarred hands and feet, and his life was completely changed. Again, God rose up. Jesus rose up. 
He warned them what was about to happen. But he let them know that even in the midst of that, God never left them. In that hospital, I can honestly tell you, and y'all, obviously, and thank you for indulging me this morning, but this has been on my heart a whole lot over the last month and a half. And when we got to the hospital and we saw what was about to take place and, and, and what was, we knew that not only could we not do anything, prayer had to become our foundation. And I can promise you, and you've heard about it for so much, we have seen God work miracle after miracle after miracle. He prayed intentionally. He encouraged others. Sometimes God will just force you to go pray alone. You'll get to that point. He sought God's will above all, no matter what. And even in the midst, he found strength from God. The Father he sent an angel. God will send one to you. He prayed in agony. Oh, I, I wish I had time. We could do a study of the word agony in the Greek language, but wow. And then finally he rose up to act. That's what God does. When you get to the point that the only thing you can do is pray, you go back to Luke 29. You go back to these seven things and let God be with you and encourage you and give you strength that God really does have this. I remember Sue Middleton. You all do too was with us, and I can re- remember for Sue, and, and even in the beginning, but long before that, they amputated her leg, and I remember when she fell right out here in this parking lot. Connie was with her, and then most of you, some of you all gathered around her. We got the, the ambulance here, and what a journey that would be for her. But I can remember we all just saying, and, 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 and I can remember what she shared with me, simply this. Sue would say, Randy, God's got this. I'd go in the hospital. God's got this. She didn't understand it. She couldn't figure it out. We couldn't either. But God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. God's got this world. Is in the mess we're in. God's got it. No matter what you're facing in your life right now. And all of us are not getting any younger, are we? You know, God's got it. So keep our trust in Him. Keep our focus in Him. God knows what He's doing. Let's pray. Father, I just thank You for encouraging us today. I thank You, Lord, for the miracles around this room that's sitting here right now. And I can see from these people just right here, miracle after miracle after miracle. Father, You you prove exceedingly beyond anything we can ever hope for or think. Thank You for answered prayer. And thank you, as Jim sang a few minutes ago, thank God for kids. Wow, how you, you catch our, our heart with children. And so many uh, across this world, uh, the heart of a little Ellie has, you've used that to, to effect change in lives. Thank you for loving us, Father. You know, Lord, I remember when we were talking about Bible school this morning. I remember Bible school here. And I remember, Father, that it was through that Bible school and and my leaders in the Bible school in this church that I really and my family, obviously, but 
that I heard of not only Jesus, but I heard how to be saved. And it was through those days I became a child of God. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving every one of us in this room, for taking our sin but death penalty to a cross. And thank you, Father, we can just sing songs today like we have done. And that little children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. May we all walk out of here this morning and may that little song right there, the message of that song, when all we can do is pray, may we hear, Jesus loves me. This I know. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to sing that, would you? That little song. Jim, lead us right now as we close. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. Amen. Been good to be in the house of God. Thank you for letting me be with you. I enjoy it. Let's pray together right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the time. Lord, thank you for these folks right here. I love them all. Bless them. Bless their family. Keep them safe now as they leave here today. And throughout this week, Lord Jesus, may we just remember what we've heard and go back to Luke 29 and hear your prayer for us and your prayer for your incredible love for us. I love you, Father, and I love these folks. Thank you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Thank you so much for being here. As you're going out, remember the sermon this morning preached this. God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. God is good all the time.